Hello, my rebels. Some interesting things on social media. I don't think that's an oxymoron. Half a million Canadians over the weekend tweeted, Trudeau must go. I don't think there's ever been a larger Twitter trend in Canada. And the reaction by the Liberal Party was absolutely predictable and depressing. I'll show you all that. Plus, at the end of today's show, I'll I'll show you a video of Justin Trudeau in London having a little party, just dancing and singing and having a great time right before the Queen's funeral. What a disgrace he is. I'll show you all that. But first, let me invite you to go to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Eight bucks a month. You get my show every weeknight, plus four other weekly shows. That's a grand total of 36 episodes a month, just for $8. But we need the dough because we don't take any government money, that's for sure. So please go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. Thanks very much. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, half a million Canadians say that Trudeau has to go, and the Liberal Party says they're just foreign-funded trolls and should be censored. It's September 19th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious thug. You know that the social media giants throttle conservatives, right? That is not a theory or a speculation. It is a policy. I know that because when it happened to us on YouTube, I asked our YouTube representative and she confirmed it to me. It's their written policy. They boost what they call trusted or quality media, by which they really mean establishment media, left-wing media, state broadcasters, government media. You can literally type in the exact name of a Rebel News video, and often YouTube will serve up a CBC or CTV or Global News video on the same subject instead. I tell you that to point out just how hard it is to get anything trending or going viral on social media these days if you are conservative, if you're not in league with Trudeau or Joe Biden or the World Economic Forum or whatever. Uh, Twitter is the same. You can see their curated list of suggested tweets. It's always left-wing fads or globalist fads. Uh, They sure seem to be pushing the war in Ukraine, too. I wonder if that's a sponsored ad, like many of the other trending subjects. It's weird to see wars being promoted, I think. But into this left-wing globalist think-alike swamp came a wonderful, refreshing, heartwarming trend started by this guy. Nickname is Marty Up North. He published a a nice photo of himself and he wrote, I'm a 55-year-old Canadian. I'm married, father to four, university educated, and perfectly bilingual. I'm an engineer solving problems for 35 years. I'm a volunteer hockey coach and an avid outdoorsman. According to Trudeau, I'm an extremist who needs to be dealt with. Hashtag Trudeau must go. And when you look at that, About 24,000 people clicked like on that, but they didn't just like it. They copied the format. They did the same thing, too. Countless people. It was really fun to watch. It was kind of like a cross between show and tell where you would talk about yourself a bit, like a platonic dating app, really, but not for dating. Uh, Show your best picture. Say what you're proud about in your life and point out how that you have been demonized by Trudeau, uh, but uh, you don't care because you know he's wrong. So many wonderful people. I recognized some of them. Some were famous, some were were obscure. 
but it really felt like a national moment. Like people were introducing themselves to each other best foot forward. I thought it was nice. There was some pain in that Trudeau had demonized them and, and hurt them in some ways, but there was some love, the feeling of solidarity and friendship and patriotic defiance, and that hashtag, Trudeau must go. And people just started doing it. It was like a weekend thing to do. Instead of being ashamed by Trudeau, who had demonized them, instead of being embarrassed by the regime media who has tried to humiliate Trudeau's critics, they all came forward together and had strength in numbers. I'm just going to read a few of them. Here's one. I'm Métis. My mother is Plains Cree Indian. My grandfather is a residential school survivor. My wife is Filipina. My children are multiracial. We were Freedom Convoy supporters. Trudeau tried to seize my bank account because he thinks I'm a racist and extremist. Trudeau must go. Hmm. I'm just going to read some of these. I'm a 39-year-old mother of one. I have a Bachelor of Medical Science, Master's in Medical Biochemistry, Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, two years as an immunization nurse for the government of Canada. I'm a registered nurse, psychotherapist, and according to Trudeau, I'm an unscientific misogynist that needs to be dealt with. I'm going to read some more. I'm 35, fourth generation, married mom of a three-year-old, CEO, Bachelor of Business Administration Honors, Bilingual, musically and academically gifted. I advocate for terminally ill cancer patients and donate time teaching young women business skills. According to Trudeau, I should not be tolerated. Trudeau must go. Hmm. Here's another one. I'm a 34-year-old Jamaican, born Canadian, engineer and project manager. I'm a husband and father of two young boys, five and two, because I made a different medical choice. Justin Trudeau says I'm an ideologically motivated extremist, racist, and misogynist. Trudeau must go. Aren't these fun? Don't you like meeting these people? I am a 36-year-old female and a former young liberal who sat on shoulders at rallies and canvassed. I became a proud conservative when liberals became unrecognizable, unquestioning, and intolerant. Because I am unvaccinated, Justin Trudeau thinks I'm a racist misogynist. Trudeau must go. Hmm. Here's one. I am... 26-year-old, second-generation immigrant, university-educated, tax- and attention-paying citizen who watched the country value a snake oil PM's opinions over their own blood. Fed up with the intentional divide and being called mean names by someone who's supposed to have our backs, Trudeau must go. Just give me a couple more. This is a good one. I'm an indigenous woman, and I've worked 15 years in the natural resource sector. I'm fluent in three languages. I'm vaccinated, and I respect the decisions of others. I'm anti-poverty. I'm Canadian. But Justin Trudeau calls me an extremist with unacceptable views. Trudeau must go. I'm 68. I served 33 years in the Canadian Army, including five operational tours. I have a PhD in physics, was a business owner, pay taxes, and do volunteer work. I believe in free choice. According to Justin Trudeau, I'm an extremist and needs to be dealt with. Trudeau must go. I just got to give you this next one. I'm a. Do you see the name there, Kyle Kemper? That's Trudeau's half-brother. I'm a 37-year-old father of four and a half. I don't know what, how you do that math. Entrepreneur, crypto OG, and proud Canadian. For two decades, I've been calling BS on the corporatocracy, and my brother, Justin Trudeau, has become a captive in their scheme. It's time Trudeau must go, and for Canada to become a sovereign nation again. Boy. You know, I really would like a coffee table book of the best of these. Like, they're beautiful people of every shape and size and age and color and background. They're all speaking from the heart. It's reclaiming their identity. You know, they were made to feel afraid and marginalized. I mean, remember this, thug? 
oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on, sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui ne croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, qui sont souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, un, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on... Est-ce qu'on tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons, la plupart des gens, presque 80 des Québécois, ont fait ce qu'il fallait faire, se sont fait vacciner, on veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire. Ce n'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer maintenant. But they're putting, you know, kids and people who are vulnerable, vulnerable at risk. Um, are they not putting some people who may not get the treatment they need in hospitals at risk? Um, and yes, we can all say to a certain extent that it, 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 it is um, unfortunate that people who chose not to get vaccinated are now the ones clogging up our ICU systems and our hospital beds that should be available for people who did their work and did get vaccinated. That is really unfortunate. And that is why we are unequivocal. They don't get to put others at risk by not getting vaccinated. Or remember this guy from the Ottawa police, what a disgrace he is. If the protesters at this point, uh, you know, uh, retreat and go home, uh, are they gonna be getting sort of repercussions down the road? Are you going to be sort of actively pursuing the people that you've been sort of documenting and filming who are still out there protesting? What are your plans after this, uh, after the protest is over? So thank you. It's a great question. And the simple answer is yes. If you are involved in this protest, we will actively look to identify you and follow up with financial sanctions and criminal charges. Absolutely. We, we, this investigation will go on for months to come. It has many, many different streams, both from a federal uh, financial level, from a provincial licensing level, from a criminal code level, from a municipal breach of court order, breach of court injunction level. It will be a complicated and time-consuming um, investigation that will go on for a period of time. You have my commitment that that investigation will continue and we will hold people accountable for taking our streets over. Yeah, seriously. Who the hell were they trying to make us feel bad? They were trying to make us feel bad about peaceful opposition to Trudeau and his extremist policies. And I think it, it scared people for a bit, but half a million people, you know, I don't know if I mentioned that, half a million people did this, or at least half a million people were tweeting about others doing it, tweeting about Trudeau must go. It was huge. I don't think there's ever been such a large grassroots rebellion on social, conservative by cons on social media by conservatives. It was amazing. I've never seen that before. But you know who panicked? This guy, Trudeau's disgraced advisor and childhood friend, Gerald Butts. He said, the real question is, who is paying for this campaign, according to Trudeau? Um, who's paying for this campaign? How do you pay for a half a million different Canadians to tweet or retweet something? Like, can, can I get paid? For tweeting, because I sort of do it as a hobby. Can I get my cut? He went on a bit of a rant about it. He went all conspiracy theory about it. But look at what that means. He's saying that there is no way the Canadians can't, 
share his love for Trudeau. It's impossible that anyone doesn't love the Sun King. You know, it must be fake. It must be paid for by someone, probably Vladimir Putin. Talk about conspiracy theories. But really, I think he's projecting. I didn't know you could pay people to tweet things. I mean, obviously, you can pay people to tweet things, fake things, but these were real people. Does Gerald Butts buy fake tweets for the Liberal Party? He seems to know a lot about doing that, doesn't he? It was the number one trending item on Twitter all weekend. Tell Joe, Joe Butts publicly complain, and then poof, like a miracle, Twitter just removed it as their top trending item. Funny how that worked. Joe Butts is getting really weird and creepy these days. Here, here's something he tweeted. He said, he was lashing out at me, but he won't type my name. It's like he's afraid to say it. It's like a child watching those Harry Potter films and being afraid to say the name of the bad guy, Voldemort. Butts is still ranting about the fact that the Globe and Mail published an editorial column written by me three years ago. Seriously, he is obsessed. He's obsessed with silencing critics. That's why he hated this viral trend. Because he can't debate them. He doesn't want to debate them. He doesn't want to admit that there are half a million people who just said Trudeau must go. Can't, can't believe that they could possibly be real. There's no point in debating a Russian secret agent, am I right? The more control he has over the mainstream media, the more control he wants that he needs as he realizes that there's still a single free journalist in the country, or if people can freely talk on Twitter, he does not truly have control. Just like a single candle can still light up a room, even if a thousand other candles are snuffed out, it's that last candle that makes the most difference. It defies the dark. That's what Trudeau and Butts hate. Let me close with a classic example of what this means, just an example. A censorship world where the only media allowed are the regime media or a free world where journalists can speak the truth. Look at this video of a Trudeau, I don't know if he's drunk, in London for the Queen's funeral, singing a party song from the band Queen. Get it? Here's Trudeau. putting on a show for the Brits. They're in mourning. He's partying, singing, showing what a dramatic actor he is. His wife is nowhere to be seen. So here's how the Daily Mail reported it in London. Drunk Canadian PM Trudeau is slammed as a tone-deaf embarrassment for singing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody at London Hotel before Elizabeth II's state funeral. Wearing a casual t-shirt, Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau was seen standing over a piano during a sing-along with other members of his formal delegation at the Central London Hotel. Trudeau was heard hitting the infamous notes during the jollity, along with the lyrics, easy come, easy go. The sing-song happened on Saturday night at London's swanky Corinthia Hotel just two days before billions tuned in to watch Queen Elizabeth II's funeral at Westminster Abbey on Monday morning. So that's the free press. But here's how the regime press in Canada, in this case the Toronto Star, the largest newspaper in the country, here's what they had to say about it. Their headline, you won't even believe this, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's impromptu tribute to the Queen included a hotel piano and Bohemian Rhapsody. The Prime Minister and Canadian pianist Gregory Charles were captured on video performing the popular Queen song in a London hotel lobby on Saturday night. Hey, it was his tribute to her, guys. Seriously. Yeah, no, that was, that was totally classy. 
whoa, the Toronto Star, they are ready to work in North Korea, aren't they? They will do whatever the regime tells them to do. But look, if that's all you read, Trudeau's CBC and Trudeau's Toronto Star and Trudeau's Globe and Mail and Trudeau's Post Media, they're all on the bailout media. If that's all you read, you wouldn't really be able to believe that half a million ordinary Canadians actually went on Twitter and said Trudeau must go. You, you couldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. You would have to come up with some other explanation like they were all Russian spies, wouldn't you? Otherwise, your whole worldview would crumble. <laughs> Stay with us for more. I remember when I first started reading Alan Bokhari, now the senior tech correspondent for Breitbart.com, and I'll admit, and this just shows my naivete, I thought, why is a news and political site like Breitbart covering tech? Isn't tech sort of wonky and boring? And that would, isn't it sort of science-y? Well, what a fool I was. I didn't realize that, of course, it was the great battleground for censorship and political control control the perception of the world, you control the world. Of course, we perceive everything through our cell phone, our computer screen. And of course, the conquering of Silicon Valley by woke leftists, really taking over what left-brained computer science engineers had built so beautifully and replacing it with wokeism, I think is one of the stories of the decade. And the man who's been covering it, I won't say single-handedly, but an early innovator in covering the politicization of Silicon Valley is our friend Alan Bokhari, who is that senior tech correspondent of Breitbart.com. And what a delight to have him back on the show, Alan. It's been too long since we had you last. And your beat, which felt a little obscure years ago, is actually the most important beat of all, isn't it? Uh, it's, it certainly escalated incredibly quickly. I remember when I, as you were saying, when I started reporting on tech, there was very little uh, sense on where things were going to go. Everyone just assumed tech was this apolitical thing. Uh, you know, there was no partisan politics al allowed and that all the social media platforms would just continue allowing people to have free speech uh, indefinitely because that was what they promised initially. I mean, it, it's hard to... Hard to see that now, but back in uh, the early 2010s, they were promising free speech, an open platform, a voice for all. They had very limited content moderation policies, but that all changed so quickly after, uh, you know, around 2015 and 2016, all, of course, in response to the populist movement and in response to pressure from elites uh, and the media. Yeah. And of course, when Donald Trump won, largely using tech, social media, Facebook, well, that's when the great deplatforming of conservatives happened in earnest. Um, let's go through a few tech issues. Uh, there's so many out there. Um, a couple months ago, a few months ago now, Elon Musk, the world's wealthiest man, at least depending on the price of Tesla, uh, made a surprising bid for the whole company. He wanted to, to take Twitter private. Uh, uh, he's the owner of Tesla. He was going to use that wealth to buy Twitter. Twitter resisted for a bit, but now it's flipped around. They want to go through with the deal, and he doesn't. They're in court. He says he doesn't want to buy now because he was misled about how many fake accounts there are. 
What's really going on there? Is that really why Elon Musk is backing down or is there something more going on here? Well, it's difficult to decipher exactly what's going on here because I, well, I'll say one thing. I don't think it's simply because of the bot issue. I think there's something else going on. You have to remember when Elon Musk first made his offer to buy Twitter, tech stocks were still way up. And within a month, tech stocks, had, including Tesla, had crashed quite a bit. Mm. So the, the offer he made uh, at the time was is, is, is by today's standards very, very generous. Mm -hmm. So it's po one possibility that he's simply trying to get a better price through these, through these uh, legal wranglings. Uh, the other possibility is that he saw there was going to be too much pressure, especially from Tesla shareholders, as he pointed out, you know, a lot of his wealth is tied to Tesla. And uh, and Tesla's shareholders were going to be upset by his focus on Twitter. There were signs of that during the early si uh, start of the negotiations. Um, so, you know, many, many possibilities. It's hard to say which one is correct. I think the reason Twitter wants him to go through with it is because, you know, they didn't really have a choice because the offer is so good financially by today's standards that, you know, they'd be abandoning, you know, their, their duty to their shareholders if they didn't press forward on the deal. Mm -hmm. So that's 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 where Twitter is coming from. But as far as Musk's motivations go, you know, it's difficult to decipher. And there are various possibilities. Yeah. And he's such an unusual fellow, speaks so bluntly and plainly and with a bit of a libertarian voice sometimes. But then again, he's got a blind spot, I think, with China because Tesla wants uh, Tesla has a factory in China. They want to grow there. You can see when you, the subject of China is raised, he becomes very careful all of a sudden. I think that's a pressure point on him, too. Uh, let me. Speaking of Twitter, uh, in some recent lawsuits, including that of a vaccine skeptic named Alex Berenson and some other vaccine lawsuits, it has come out that the U.S. government, especially the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, was, I wouldn't say instructing, but but let's just say telling tech companies will throttle that guy, silence that guy. That guy's getting too much attention for his skeptical views. And it looks like they were contracting out government censorship to private companies. What's the state of that? Yeah, this is really the story of the modern age in America. Uh, tech companies simply censorship by proxy. So tech companies in the corporate sector being used to carry out the uh, the censorship that America's ruling class wants to do, but can't do via the government because of the First Amendment. Uh, and in a sense, it's worse. It's even worse than government censorship because you can't really hold. There are no there are no checks and balances to hold it accountable. You can't simply. Uh, 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 you know, limited through 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 courts. In fact, this Alex Berenson case was, I think, the only case of a prominent person getting their Twitter account back through a lawsuit. Lots of other people have tried and failed. But yeah, as you heard, the, the, this lawsuit revealed that the back channels that existed between the White House, the Biden White House, and social media companies were extensive. Hmm. And I think probably one of the reasons why Twitter wanted the lawsuit to end so quickly is because they didn't want more coming out. Hmm. Um, uh, and, I, and I think, um, you know, it, it, re it really shows it really shows the what how the ruling class view social media. They view social media as their mechanism for uh, for constraining certain voices. Mm -hmm. um, and they're desperate to avoid uh, a situation like 2015 and 2016, where you did have that relatively open playing field on social media where ordinary people did have a voice. 
because they saw the results of that. The result of that was Brexit, Donald Trump, the populist movement. They want to avoid that reality coming to pass again. And it's all it's all down to social media, in my opinion. So it's all about that freedom of speech that uh, and giving ordinary people a voice that allowed that uh, environment to emerge. Hmm. I think you're right. Um, speaking of which, uh, help me understand this. You had a story in Breitbart recently about a bill that Amy Klobuchar, who's a, a Democrat, introduced, and then Senator Ted Cruz, who's a Republican from Texas, Republican from Texas, he put in an amendment prohibiting censorship collusion. Now, help me understand this. What was the Democrat bill designed to do, and what was this Ted Cruz amendment that it looks like it passed, even though the Republicans don't have a majority in the Senate. Help me figure this out a little bit. What does it mean in terms of internet censorship? What was the bill? What was the amendment? And where is it now? So this is really one of the most sinister bills that has come out of this Congress, uh, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. And it has been sold to lawmakers as a bill to help uh, small local independent news companies get their fair share of revenue from big tech uh, by allowing them to join together in a kind of cartel and negotiating entity to do collective bargaining with big tech. Now, of course, it is not at all as it, as it has been sold to lawmakers. It is, in fact, the creation of uh, the most powerful media companies in the world, international media companies. They're lobbyists in D.C., which are for uh, the News Media Alliance, they're called. They've poured $2 million into more than at least $2 million into lobbying uh, in D.C. over the past uh, two years, and their priority has been passing this bill, because what this bill will do is it creates an antitrust exemption for media companies. Media companies will be able to join together to pressure the tech companies and actually force agreements on the tech companies uh, through arbitration that would force them to give more revenue to the tech companies. Uh, sorry, that would force the tech companies to give more revenue to the media companies. So it's a mechanism for for uh, consolidating and entrenching the power of the mainstream media, which was previously under threat from new media. Of course, you know, podcasters and Substack authors get nothing from this bill. It's entirely for the big media companies. Mm -hmm. And what makes matters, and the Cruz Amendment, what makes the Cruz Amendment so interesting uh, is it reveals another purpose of the bill. So the bill uh, has been sold as this thing, just, you know, about getting, you know, fair, a fair price for news content. Uh, that you know, tech companies should pay a pay a price, pay a fee to news companies for their content, and you know, I still don't agree with that. I don't think uh, tech companies should be forced to prop up the failing mainstream media. I think the mainstream media deserve to fail. But um, if it were just that, that would be bad enough. But the bill actually allows this media cartel to negotiate with the tech companies on anything, mm -hmm. including censoring their competition. Hmm. So a you know, you could imagine a group of media companies, uh, CNN, Hearst, Gannett, getting together and saying, hey, we want this agreement with you. Uh, we want this much in revenue. And we also want to be prioritizing algorithms. We want our competitors suppressed. We want you to clamp down on fake news and misinformation and make sure you put our content above theirs. Um, and what the Cruz Amendment did was it would have limited the negotiations of the cartel just to price. So they would only be able to talk to the tech companies on matters concerning revenue, ad revenue, and how much the media companies were getting. Um, and that sounded like a reasonable amendment to all the Republicans who voted in favor of it on the committee, but the Democrats immediately pulled the bill. They said they couldn't pass the bill mm. with that amendment, which mm. would have revealed the true intention behind the bill, which is to 
not just entrench the mainstream media's power in terms of their revenue, but also in terms of censoring their competition, ensuring they're the only source of information that people see when they log on to Twitter and Facebook and every other platform. Well, that's incredible. Alan, I want to give you a report from north of the 49th parallel. Here in Canada, we have a similar uh, project uh, that is in a bill put forward by Justin Trudeau's liberals that would cause Facebook and YouTube Google to give tens of millions of dollars to be divided up amongst uh, dying mainstream media. So that part exists in Canada, but part of the bill explicitly requires, so this isn't something that our large mainstream media has negotiated. This is something that the Trudeau liberals have injected straight into the bill. No need to negotiate it, it's there, that the what the government calls qualified Canadian journalism organizations must be boosted. They call that discoverability. And media like us, which are not licensed by the government, must be de-boosted. So it, what you're talking about, this disaster scenario that Ted Cruz was trying to head off, and when he did, the Democrats abandoned the bill, that's not just in the bill in Canada. But they don't have to negotiate it. Our Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, CBC, they don't have to negotiate with Facebook and YouTube and Google to downrank competitors like us. It's in the bill already. Facebook, YouTube, Google have no choice. They have to throttle independent companies that do not have the government license. Can you believe that? I don't know if you've heard of that down there, but we are the terrible template up here. Yeah, I have heard about that. And, you know, this is... There's, it, it, there's a global push for similar bills. You know, there, there was a similar thing on Australia forcing tech companies to prop up media companies. So this is all coming from the same motivation. Uh, and it all comes from that, that fear, that fear of the open social media that used to exist that they got rid of because it was too threatening to elites. They want to go back to the days where the mainstream media controls the narrative and they want to suppress all of the mainstream media's competitions. I think uh, yeah, the, the reason uh, why... Uh, the Canadian bill is is uh, is so much worse than uh, I mean they're they're both bad bills, but the reason why the Canadian bill is so explicit is because you guys have a liberal one-party state there. I'm sure the Democrats would love to make it that explicit in their bill as well, mm -hmm. but they need ten Republicans in order to pass it through the Senate. Hmm. And the only the only way they're going to get the ten Republicans is if they uh, somehow convince them this is just about saving their struggling local newspaper mm -hmm. and not about censoring the mainstream media's enemies. The Cruz Amendment exposed that. Hmm. And uh, actually, it's, I've, I've been quite optimistic because they had a lot of Republicans signed on to this bill. And, but as we've exposed it, as we've shown them the truth of this legislation, now the Republicans are wavering. Rand Paul, who was co-sponsoring this bill, just pulled out of it. Hmm. So he can no longer support it. Isn't that almost that never happens for someone yeah. to pull out of a bill they were co-sponsoring. Yeah. And it just shows you you can make a difference if you, you, know, if you hmm. expose things and if you hold these people accountable. Yeah, well, Rand Paul is a very special politician, one of the few who I think could be persuaded by ideas. Um, let's end on a positive note. You know, um, there, we're based in Toronto, Canada, and not too far down the street was the offices of Rumble.com. And they were a little company, really, similar to us. And then suddenly they just started getting momentum because they sort of decided they were going to be a YouTube alternative. And they're comparative advantage was not size or money or 
you know, brand name or whatever, although I like rumble.com, that's sort of cool. It was that they weren't going to be censors. And by the way, they were tested on that recently when there was enormous pressure on social media companies to delete accounts of Russia Today. That's a state broadcaster that Putin controls. Um, YouTube complied. They knocked off RT's YouTube channel, which was interesting. I mean, you didn't have to agree with it or believe it all, but it was interesting to hear what the other side had to say during the war. YouTube and other social media companies collapsed. They tried to pressure Rumble, and Rumble actually held the line. That must have been extremely difficult. I can only imagine not just economic pressure, but diplomatic and military, and, and they held the line. Rumble's been growing. They just announced a deal with Russell Brand, who's a prominent UK independent thinker, Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I'm a tiny bit hopeful that Rumble might actually turn into something. I understand that this week there's going to be an investment by Cantor Fitzgerald, which is a big you know, hedge fund that is not ideological. I think they're putting in $400 million. I am allowing myself a tiny sliver of hope that maybe there's a company that says, well, look, if all those guys are becoming censors, that leaves the uncensored market for us, and we're going to own it. I don't know. I just, I just need a little bit of hope now that Elon Musk doesn't want Twitter anymore. I have to have something I can look forward to. Uh, yeah, I think uh, censorship, I, for me, it seems like it really peaked uh, in the days following uh, January the 6th. That's when Donald Trump was kicked off all of those platforms. That's when Parler was banned from the App Store. Um, and they, they really sort of, they sort of went a, a few, a few multiple bridges too far because they were drawing, the tech companies were drawing international condemnation for what they did in those weeks. So I think there's a bit more restraint on the part of the tech companies at the moment. I don't see Rumble getting banned from the app stores anytime soon. And the, uh, the, uh, the arrival of this hedge fund suggests that there's some appetite in the market for this as well. We also see companies like Substack, which are doing very well also taking a very pro-free speech stance. Now, there are a lot of pressure points you can bring on these companies, uh, payment processing, um, hosting, app stores, all the things we've seen in the past. But I think the more the powers that be use these methods, uh, the more people are just going to get frustrated with them and the more it's going to be obvious what, they, what they're doing. I think they've realized they can't push it too far. Well, I sure hope you're right. By the way, full disclosure, I own... A fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of Rumble. So I'm hoping they do well um, personally as well as as a company. Um, listen, we're in a fascinating world. And if you are not even able to see what the world is other through, than through the glasses of social media, you can understand why it's, that is absolutely the important battlefield. Alan Bukhari, great to have you on the show again. Nice to see you, my friend. Um, Alum's the senior tech correspondent for Breitbart.com. you got to follow him or you're not going to be up to date on this stuff. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Ezra. Good to be on. Right on. There you have it. Alan Bokari. Stay with us. More ahead. You know, Teddy Roosevelt was one of the largest, uh, larger-than-life presidents. He was sort of the Donald Trump of his time. Uh, but... Uh, more rough and outdoorsy than Trump. You know, he he got shot but finished giving the speech before going to get medical help. He 
was in wars. He created the national park system. Teddy Roosevelt was a, an outdoorsman who was made of strong stuff. He's had such a dominating personality that his daughter, I think or niece, once said about him, he was the bride at every wedding, the corpse at every funeral, the baby at every baptism. As in, when you went somewhere with Teddy Roosevelt, that's all there was. Didn't matter whose event there was, it was Teddy and then everyone else. And I believe it. He was such an enormous man who to this day leaves a, a shadow uh, of, of, of great height. Justin Trudeau has the arrogance and the ego of the great man, Teddy Roosevelt, but he has none of the wisdom or courage. There he was in London at the Queen's funeral. Two billion people tune in. All the world's leaders are there. But Justin Trudeau just couldn't be quiet and wear a black suit and show respect even for a couple of days. He just couldn't do it. So he put on a show. And, and you know, if he was in his own hotel room, I, I don't care. But in the hotel bar, Justin Trudeau would do a tribute to the Queen by singing Queen, song, queen songs, absurd songs in a T-shirt. I don't know if he was drunk or not. And let me let me play that clip for you one more time. Take a look. Yeah, no wonder the Daily Mail called it, call it a disgrace. Teddy Roosevelt was the largest, larger-than-life guy you could meet, but for he was a great man. Justin Trudeau is just a petty man who always needs to be the center of the attention, even at the Queen's funeral. What a disgrace he is. I'll leave you on that note until tomorrow. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Sharon, Ontario, just north of Toronto. And folks, I'm with Patrick McNulty. Patrick is, or actually was, uh, an employee of the Canadian Border Service Agency. He was terminated. And the reason for that is that um, Patrick, he wasn't on side with all the obtrusive government mandates that have been making the lives of travelers hellacious uh, these last several months. This is not a law. This is not an act. This is a mandate. There is so much red tape. It is unbelievable. Look, there's a lot of concern about, well, what information is on my passport? Your home address is not on your passport. Where you are planning to self-isolate is not on your passport. And your telephone number is not linked to your passport either. So, if you stood your ground when boarding a flight, and you stood your ground at the airport and you refused to speak with public health, which yes, you can do. They cannot handcuff you. They cannot detain you. There will be no arresting you for failing to speak with public health. You can ignore them and treat them like they're invisible. If you've done that and then you receive a knock on your door, whether it's from the RCMP, a local police unit, or a local health unit in some cases, file this complaint. Use this form, okay? Submit your complaint because where is the authority to disclose your information? For speaking out, um, well, Patrick was terminated, and even worse than that, we were going to do an interview. This is a, an event Patrick's doing here tonight in Sharon. Uh, there's no recording devices allowed in, uh, no image capturing uh, devices. And essentially, Patrick, if I can just ask you, I know you're champing at the bit 
to talk to me, but you've been advised by your lawyers, and I understand, much like Tamara Leach, you have bail conditions which actually prohibit you from talking to media. What's that all about? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, I really don't know how to answer that, Dave. I, uh, I don't. I, um, I have a lot to say. I've been very outspoken against certain programs, policies, and procedures that the, the federal government is implementing right now at the border. And um, as of right now, um, I have been charged criminally, and I'm not allowed to speak about the case, and I've been advised to just not speak about anything at this moment in time, um, because to be honest, I don't want to go back to jail. <laughs> you, you know, I think this idea that here we are in Canada in 2022, it kind of looks like Orwell's 1984, we're supposed to have freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and yet there are people that are telling you, you cannot talk, you cannot speak about your own story. I think this is Banana Republic stuff. I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know you're walking on eggshells, yeah, and believe me, Patrick, really I'm not trying to get you into any hot water by break, breaking any bail conditions, but it just seems to me that this is such a sad state of affairs. I personally feel, I've researched your story, I think you've been wronged, I think you were doing the Canadian public a service, so it seems that in Justin Trudeau's Canada, no good deed goes unpunished. Yeah, and thank you for saying so. Um, this is the first time in my life I've felt genuinely tongue-tied because I don't know what I am allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say. Um, with that being said, we have taken precautions here at this private event. Um, cell phones are not allowed. No one will be recording anything. Um, there is one camera recording, but this is how we're doing it right now. And until I hear back from my lawyer on Monday, um, uh, public appearances like this, um, making my own videos, it's going to have to stop until I know really what I'm allowed to say and what I'm not allowed to say in Justin Trudeau's Canada. Well, you know, Patrick, I'm certainly not going to press the issue. Uh, to me, you're one of the good guys for taking a righteous stance. We saw what this government did to Tamara Leach, you know, this Métis grandmother, uh, the way she was incarcerated virtually for no reason. I don't want the same to happen to you. I guess all I have to say is, um, what are you, uh, without going into details, what is this event going to be uh, tonight? Are, are the people who are attending here at this bar, uh, what are they, um, what's the gist of what they're going to hear from you? Well, we'll be discussing our rights and freedoms as they pertain to the movement into and out of Canada. And that's basically it. I'm here to, to answer questions as they come up and um, really just try and calm some people down because quite a few people in here have already shared with me some of their horrifying stories of crossing the border. And um, I'd like to see it stop. Well, Patrick, when you get the green light from your lawyers, uh, let's arrange a proper interview uh, because I think your story, uh, it should be told out there. And what can I tell you, folks? Um, please Google the name Patrick McNulty. Yes, we'd love to get it from the horse's mouth, but the government won't let him do that. Law enforcement won't let him do that. I ask you, do you even recognize this country we're living in anymore? For Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies.